Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. What does the Hartlepool by-election result and Keir Starmer's response tell us about the crisis in the Labour Party? The Tories are claiming victory, but what is the perspective for Johnson and his party? The austerity they are planning for the working class and the lack of solutions they have for all the problems we face will smash any hope against hopes that there is anything that they will do to improve things. The Trade Unionist and Socialist Coalition, TUSC, is the electoral coalition in which the Socialist Party participates. Following Starmer's reclaiming of the Labour Party for big business, TUSC was back in action, standing no cuts and Socialist candidates for this election. How did TUSC get on? Why does the working class need a political voice? And how can it be built? This episode of Socialism looks at the 2021 elections in Britain and what they tell us about the key tasks facing the working class and the fight against the coming post-Covid austerity. Welcome to the latest episode of Socialism, the podcast. It's the 12th of May. It's the Wednesday after the polling day last Thursday for the 2021 May elections. I'm here with Hannah Sell, General Secretary of the Socialist Party. Hello, Hannah. Hi. So, Hannah, let's get into it. What do these results tell us about Starmer's Labour? Huh. Well, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And the most shocking thing is not their very poor results, but the way they're blatantly trying to blame Jeremy Corbyn for their very poor results. Exactly. And saying that the road to electoral success, one of them said, is to incinerate the policies of the far left. They're going to launch a policy review. In reality, the programme that Jeremy Corbyn stood on has already been junked, but now they want to formalise that because somehow they think that, they say they think, it's difficult to believe they actually believe it, Mm. that that will win them further elections. We've had Rachel Reeves... Mm -hmm appointed a shadow chancellor. I mean, this is the woman who said that they were going to be tougher. This was under Miliband. Labour was going to be tougher on benefit claimants than the Tories. Exactly. So just at the time when the Tories are planning to cut universal credit by £20 a week, end the furlough scheme, we're going to see a spike of unemployment. The woman who blames benefit claimants for not being able to get work yeah. is the shadow chancellor. It really is incredible. And it's a load of lies. I mean, it's so all-pervasive. All of the capitalist media accept as a fact that the hurdle that Starmer has to overcome is Jeremy Corbyn. People forget. Because actually, look at Hartlepool, which is obviously the clearest example of this process. There's only been once that Labour's received more than 20,000 votes since 2001. That's how far you have to go back. Was that under Starmer, under Mandelson? (laughs) Guess! That was in 2017. And in that year, under Corbyn's leadership, there was a 16.9% increase in the vote for Labour in Hartlepool. And actually, even in these elections, where Labour just did terribly in Hartlepool and the Tories romped home, the Tories' vote was only a 1,000 higher than that 2017 vote. The difference 
was not surge to the Tories. It was that the Labour vote collapsed. Stayed at home. They stayed at home. It was a turnout of 42%. Mm. And, you know, the Tories are going up how great this is. But they've introduced anti-trade union laws that mean a strike is not allowed unless you get a plus 50% turnout. It was a 42% turnout. And the council elections were a lot lower than that. Absolutely. If you look back... There was a three and a half million jump in Labour's vote in 2017, the largest increase for any party in a single election since 1945. And that was because of the popularity of Corbyn's manifesto at that point in time. There were a million ex-UKIP voters who went and voted for Corbyn. And probably a lot of them didn't think Corbyn was a lovely man. No. But they wanted mass council house building. They wanted a proper minimum wage. They wanted renationalisation of the NHS and the railways and the Free other... education. Exactly. Yeah. And therefore, they went out and voted. Mm. Even in 2019, mm. when Labour's vote did go down compared to 2017, it was not the worst result since 1935. They got over 10 million votes, something that was not achieved by Blair after 2001 or ever by Gordon Brown or Miliband. So, you know. So the figures actually tell a bit of a different story. They tell a completely (laughs) different story. And in relation to why it went down in 2019, the central factor was Brexit, where under the pressure from Starmer and the right wing, Corbyn had stopped saying we will implement what people have voted for and instead was saying... Let's look at it again and giving a completely unclear position, which was seen as reneging on the question of Brexit by voters in many areas of the country. So there were reasons to vote for Labour under Corbyn. Yeah. What reasons are there to go and vote for Starmer's Labour? What does he stand for? What, who, you know, he's wrapping himself in the Union Jack. Yeah. But in terms of policies, his overwhelming drive, and this is related to wrapping himself in the Union Jack... Mm is to prove to the capitalist class, to big business, that Labour is safe again from their point of view, that it will represent the interests of the 1% and not stand up for working class people. And he's been very successful at that. Mm -hmm. And that actually, I think it's quite interesting, was demonstrated in the week or two before the election. Because clearly... Johnson is guilty of all kinds of corruption and shenanigans and so are the Tory party as a whole. Mm. But it was very striking how the mass media, including Mm. right-wing papers, Mm -hmm. went on the offensive against Johnson in the run-up to the elections. And why is that? It's because they don't trust Johnson Mm. to reliably act in their interests Mm. and they do trust Starmer. Can you imagine, if Corbyn was still leader, the press spending their time attacking the Tory party leader? It would have all been about Corbyn and his terrible crimes, etc, etc. But they think he's safe, Starmer, and they're right. But there's a problem. Being safe for big business is not electorally popular. So despite (laughs) the best efforts of the mass media to help him, he did terribly. Students don't queue around the block to... (laughs) No, no. And... You know, health workers are not going to come out en masse when exactly. he's not supporting their campaign for 15% pay rise. Mm. He's saying, oh, well, maybe 2%. It should be a little bit more than the Tories are offering. It's come out since the election. He's refusing to even back Unite's campaign to oppose fire and rehire. What reasons are there for workers to go and vote for Labour? Now, obviously, they didn't do uniformly badly everywhere. No. They did, in Wales, for example, do a bit better. And that is related to a certain vaccine bounce. Mm. The SNP, Labour in Wales, but also the Tories in England, 
despite especially the Tories, but all of them having done a terrible job in the pandemic, they've successfully rolled the vaccine out. And so they got a certain Thanks to the boost. NHS. Yeah, absolutely. But there is a general process of a hollowing out of support for Labour, that people no longer see it as a party that represents their interests. Mm. Working class people, the connection that existed in the past that it's the Workers' Party has gone. And that means in Scotland, Labour got their worst ever results. Mm. And you can see Labour going the way of the Party Socialist in France, who, you know, are virtually an ex-party now. Mm. Single figures they get in elections. I mean, in terms of percentage, not mm. votes, not yeah. quite that bad. PASOK in Greece, mm. because they've implemented pro-capitalist policies, their support base has shattered over a whole period of time. Some areas they did a little bit better. Generally, bigger cities, partly because black and Asian voters still, in general, really distrust the Tories because of their blatant racism, mm. and so are still more likely to go out and vote Labour. But in London, mm. Khan won, mm. but his vote was down. There was a low turnout, and that is a reflection of the fact he's the mayor who said they want more billionaires in London while working-class Londoners can't afford to live, mm. and a whole number of regressive policies being carried out by him and Labour councils across London. So even there, that's being hollowed out. Mm. I think an interesting thing that's just worth mentioning is a trend that was a bit in the opposite direction, and that's what took place in Manchester, because Andy Burnham's vote did go up. Mm. It went up by over 100,000 compared to the last time he stood. And why is that? It's because during the last year, he does not, at every stage, just rolled over and done big business in the Tories' bidding. At one point, he said, we're not prepared to introduce new COVID restrictions unless you're prepared as a government to provide money to allow people to still live when they can't go to work and so on. Now, actually, in the end, he retreated, he mm. capitulated on that, he didn't win anything. But the fact that even for a week or two, he was prepared to talk tough, got him an increase in votes. Imagine yeah. if Labour actually was a workers' party and was prepared to say, we are not going to implement Tory austerity, we refuse to. I mean, my local council has over a billion in its reserves because it's Newham, it's the Olympic legacy. And yet, they're introducing new charges for residents, they're increasing the council tax, they're cutting our public services. Imagine if they were prepared to say, we're going to use some of these reserves to meet the needs of one of the poorest boroughs in the country, and we're going to demand more money from the government. You get a landslide. That's what Liverpool did in the 1980s, where we played a leading role. But unfortunately, a little bit of posturing is absolutely the best that is on offer from Labour. Across the board... They implement austerity, they're moving further to the right, and it is not going to win the support of working-class people. Definitely not. So that leaves a vacuum then, and mm. obviously all sorts are going to try and fill that, but at the moment the Tories are claiming it to an extent, aren't they? Have they successfully rebranded themselves as a party for working-class people now? <laughs> well, it's interesting. The Queen's speech yesterday, there was a whole number of measures including lifting the Fixed Terms Parliament Act introduced by Cameron, mm -hmm. which points that they might try and go for an early election, but also other measures, including the stuff about having to show ID, people from abroad who can vote. They're trying to increase the Tory vote and cut the Labour vote Absolutely. with gerrymandering. Yeah. By the way, that is not the sign of someone who's confident that they've won the support <laughs> of the majority of working-class people in Britain. And look, 
Their handling of the pandemic has been appalling. Mm. We've had one of the highest death rates in the world. It's still the highest death rate in Europe. We've had the worst economic contraction in 300 years. Again, one of the worst of at least the economically developed countries. And yes, people temporarily are not thinking about that so much Mm. because we've got the vaccine, we're moving out of lockdown, but there is not mass support for the Tories. Their very ephemeral gains in these elections are mainly because of the collapse of Labour's vote and very low turnouts Mm. and the fact that people who were protesting by voting for UKIP Mm. and other kind of right populist formations at this stage see their means of protesting actually as voting. Johnson has successfully branded himself as a right populist and Mm. so they've picked up some vote from that. But this is not a mass surge in support for the Tory party. But it's also not a surprise. People in areas that are traditionally Labour have had Labour implementing neoliberal policies for decades, decades and decades. It's no surprise that a few of them start to think, well, maybe it's worth trying the Tory party. This Poundland Trump, and that's what he's kind of dressed himself up as, who claims to be standing for the little people, and is making promises about levelling up. Yeah. yeah, and there is a bit of port barrel politics in this. Yeah. And you could understand people thinking, well, we voted against the Tories whenever they've been in power our whole lives and we've got nothing. And now they're saying they might give us a bit if we have a Tory MP. Well, maybe it's worth a shot. You can understand people drawing that conclusion. And that kind of illusion might last in a few areas for a little bit because they hope some infrastructure project is coming. But it is ruled out that this government will transform the lives of working class people in any area, Mm. never mind in some of the poorest areas that they're trying to make inroads in. And alongside this talk of infrastructure projects in the future, Mm. of free ports, which are super exploitation zones in reality, what else are we going to get? We've got the public sector pay freeze. We've got the end of the furlough, which will mean a further hike in unemployment. Right now, the economy seems to be recovering, but that doesn't mean it's going to go back to the trend it was on before the COVID crisis. We've got further capitalist crisis ahead. We've got gigantic waiting lists on the NHS. Mm. 4.7 million people waiting for routine operations. And the Tories are posturing about putting money in, but they are not going to put the £102 that the Lancet says is necessary to overcome the COVID backlog in the NHS. So... Right now, at this moment, their talk might have an effect on some workers, but the reality is going to have exactly the opposite effect. And they could become unpopular very quickly. And let's remember, the only reason that Johnson's able to hold his party together, which is deeply split and divided, is because he seems to be winning elections. That changes and all hell will break loose in the Tory party. And it's not just the economic issues that are coming up that are going to lead to that, but also the political questions. The question of the battle for independence in Scotland and how the Tory party responds to that. The continued increase in sectarianism in Northern Ireland. There's a whole number of different issues which this government does not have a clue how to deal with. And the splits in the Tory party are going to be writ large. So... You know, he might not get his election in early enough. He could even be forced out of office before you get to an election as a result of the splits in the Tory party and very quickly their unpopularity as opposed to this temporary facade of some popularity at the moment. Okay, that's a relief then. (laughs) 
So Tusk was back in business for this election, the trade unionist and socialist coalition that the Socialist Party is part of alongside the RMT, Resist and others. How did Tusk get on in this election? We did good. And the main thing is, we did it. Absolutely. Look, these elections totally confirmed that we were right. The Socialist Party wrote to the other participants in Tusk and said the election of Starmer as leader of the Labour Party means we've got to be back in action. We've got to be fighting at the ballot box again. And the other participants agreed. And not just the elections, but Starmer's reaction to the elections and what's taking place in the Labour Party shows we were completely correct to do it. Mm. And we had an impressive campaign. We Mm. got more than 300 candidates, and those candidates were trade union activists, quite a few people who'd been kicked out or stormed out of the Labour Party, but also Black Lives Matter activists, environmental campaigners. What Tusk does is it provides a banner for people who want to fight back on socialist policies against austerity at the ballot box. And we did that very successfully. Our votes were modest, but it was the highest total number of votes, nearly 50,000, that we've got since 2015. So that's important. Mm. And we got some very good votes. For the mayoral campaigns, for example, Tom Baldwin got 3,194 votes, which is almost double or around double what he got last time that he stood got 2,192 for Roger Bannister, for Liverpool mayor. The London Assembly elections did very well. Nancy Taff with over 3,000 and April Ashley with just under 3,000, north and south of the river. But also Andy Walker getting nearly 2,000 in Havering and Redbridge. So, you know, this was a modest step, Mm. but it was an important step. Well, that's important that that many people got to vote for a socialist anti-cuts candidate in the election. It definitely is. And I think we have to really congratulate all of those who had the courage to do it. It wasn't an easy election, Mm. not least because it started so late and there were so many restrictions in place Mm. that if you, like we are, are reliant on getting out and talking to people and you don't get any coverage from the capitalist media, Mm. that made it a hard election to fight. Mm. And it also wasn't an easy election because of the defeat of Corbynism and the feeling, well, the left can't get anywhere. That's what we're being told, which has a certain effect on people. But objectively... It was a vital time to stand because the need for a new mass workers' party is so clear. Working class people need a political voice, and Tusk isn't that, but it's a lever to fight for that, a step in that direction. So planting our flag, doing what we did in these elections was really important, but it's mainly, of course, preparation for what's coming further down the road. Brilliant. So what is that? What is the Socialist Party saying is needed then in terms of preparing for what comes down the fight against Tory COVID austerity? So there's lots of different aspects to it and you could have separate podcasts on all of them. (laughs) And so I'm going to mention two quite briefly and then talk about the political issue, which is the centre on this podcast. But first of all, we have to fight for a trade union fight back. The trade unions have got more than six million members. They are potentially the most powerful working class organisations in this country. But the leadership of the trade unions collectively are not using that power at this point in time. And when you look at what's coming with post-COVID austerity, the public sector pay freeze, fire and rehire, we need a fight back in the individual sectors, but also coordinated. And a big part of what the Socialist Party is doing is fighting to push in the different trade unions the current leaderships to do that, but also standing for election and getting more fighters on the leadership bodies of the different unions in order to push harder. Mm -hmm. And we're very pleased, for example, that in the National Education Union, there have recently been elections to the National Executive, and we've gone from one to four members 
of the NEU National Executive. And that will make a difference because our previous one member, she was alone in arguing to prepare last November for industrial action over the issue of health and safety. Under pressure from below at the start of this year, that action took place in a certain form. But if we had four people fighting that corner in the NEU executive in November, we might have been able to have better prepared and even more effective action. Mm. So that's an important part of what we've got to do. Another issue is the question of young people. Absolutely. Have been the hardest hit in every sense by this pandemic. Mm. Have paid £9,000 in fees if they're at university for no education virtually in the mm. course of the last year. Are facing mass unemployment in many cases even if at the moment they're hoping they're going to get jobs, and some will, the end of the furlough will mean a new hike in unemployment, Mm. and also what kind of jobs? A few Mm. hours a week, low paid, highly inadequate. So fighting for a future for young people is a big part of what the Socialist Party is organising around, and will be encouraging initiatives over the summer by Young Socialists, Youth Fight for Jobs and other campaigns. But the main kind of point in this broadcast is that crucial question of a political voice for the working class. And it is frustrating when you see the response to Starmer's response to the election losses. Mm. Because unfortunately, the Labour lefts have generally been really weak. Mm. I mean, they do criticise Starmer and they do say he should be standing on Corbyn's programme. But that's it. Mm. It's pleading. (laughs) What are you going to do? Because he isn't. Mm. And they're not even prepared to call for a leadership election. I mean, if they were to try and trigger a leadership election, unfortunately, because the Parliamentary Labour Party remained dominated by the pro-capitalist right during Corbyn's period in office, I don't think they could get the 20% of MPs to trigger the election and get a left candidate on the ballot paper. But they're not even calling for it. They're not even fighting for it. Pleading with Starmer is going to make no difference whatsoever. Jeremy Corbyn himself is still excluded from the Parliamentary Labour Party. And unfortunately, the leaders of the left-affiliated trade unions have really been similar. It's been pleading, Mm. asking. Keir should take a different road. We need action. And in our view, what is urgently needed is for the left trade unions to call a conference to bring together the affiliated but also the unaffiliated trade unions, everybody who wants to fight for a workers' voice, a workers' party, and begin to discuss how to achieve that. And there might be some in that conference who still think you're going to achieve that by pushing Labour back to the left. But let's discuss a battle on how to do it. In the Socialist Party's view, that's not the issue. Having failed to transform the Labour Party with Corbyn in the leadership... Now with Starmer trying to annihilate the memory of Corbynism, the time has come to launch a new party. And the electoral possibilities are there. Mm -hmm. Corbyn's programme was popular. Mm -hmm. People want a left alternative, but we have to fight to start to build it. And you get told it's impossible, it can't be done. Well, if the founders of the Labour Party had believed that and had stuck with the Liberals and the Tories forever, working class people never would have started to build a political voice. But they didn't believe it and they set out and they built a new party. We cannot allow the obstacles of the first past the post system, which is an obstacle, to stop us acting and to start to build, to give working class people a political voice. And even before we win elections... Doing that has an effect because it frightens the people in power. It makes them think the working class is coming. Whereas at the moment, in electoral politics, 
the working class is absolutely voiceless. Mm. So we've got to start on that task in our view, and that is what the Socialist Party is going to be campaigning for. Of course, from our point of view, it's important that such a party stands on socialist policies, because in the end, the reason that all these mainstream politicians are so useless is because they defend the capitalist system, Mm. and the capitalist system has only got misery to offer working-class people. So a new party has to fight for a different kind of society. It has to say, we're going to take wealth and power from this tiny elite, these billionaires who increased their wealth by a third during the course of the COVID pandemic while we suffered. We are going to nationalise those major corporations and banks, bring them into democratic public ownership and actually begin to build a socialist society that would be for the many, not the few. So it's fighting for workers to have their own independent voice, to found a new party, but also arguing that we want that party to be founded on a clear socialist programme. Brilliant. Okay, thank you very much, Hannah. No problem. That's great post-election podcast, and we'll come back with more as the situation develops. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party. The England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. In this track, you've heard Hannah Sell speaking to Sarah Sachs-Eldridge, and I'm Josh Asker. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes of your podcast app. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Socialism the Podcast relies on funding from our members and supporters. We have no big business backers or adverts, which allows us to maintain our political independence. Can you help fund this podcast? You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Even more importantly, do you agree with the ideas of the Socialist Party as we've raised here? Get in touch and find out about becoming a member. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism there, contact the Committee for a Workers' International by visiting socialistworld.net. Till next time, solidarity. Solidarity.